You're listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions. Attorney Bill Powers sits down with some of today's leading legal minds to discuss everything from legal issues and legislation to practice tips and policy. Now, here's your host, an NBTA board-certified criminal law specialist, former president of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and renowned trial lawyer, Bill Powers. All right, welcome back to a new episode of Law Talk with attorney Bill Powers. I am Robert Ingalls, and I will be your guest host for this episode. It is my privilege to be here again with Mr. Powers. How are you today, sir? I'm well. So today we're going to be talking about DWI limited privilege. Uh, How do you lose your license? What steps can you do to get it back? Should you hire an attorney to help you with that process? Uh, Bill's going to be giving us all those answers. Ready to get to it? I am. All right. So the first question that I have and, and the listeners probably have is, in what situations does your license get taken away? Um, well, that, that assumes you actually have um, a license in the first place, uh, which is normally one of the condition precedents of uh, getting a limited privilege is that you have a valid license or maybe it hasn't been expired more than a, a certain period of time. But um, we see them in in drywall impaired cases normally uh, where you have blown a certain number uh, on the evidentiary device. We refer to that in North Carolina as the ECIR2. Um, We also see uh, license suspensions related to what we refer to as a willful refusal or refusing to submit uh, to um, blood or breath testing. And there's a timing issue involved because there are also times where you will see a suspension uh, due to uh, the number coming back on blood, which may be a delay, as, as I think most people probably understand. It takes a while to get blood test results back from a lab. And so it may be several months before a suspension goes into effect for what we refer to as a 20 138.3. Um, or 28138.1, two or three type of offense, which is the general statute regarding driving while impaired or driving while subject to impairing substances as a CDL operator or as, and I, I mentioned the 20-138.3 for being uh, underage, which when you're not allowed to have any alcohol in your system, that can have uh, an effect to your license as well, which may or may not fall within you know, limited privileges, but you ask when suspensions take place. So that's, you know, normally when you see an 08 or higher or refusal or you're not supposed to be drinking and driving at all. Sure. And for the listener, I will link those statutes in the show notes and on the blog for you. Sure. So those are the things that can get you suspended. Under what circumstances, if you're suspended, can a person then get limited privileges? Well, um, this is one of those areas of law that there are so many different possibilities and paths you can go down. There's not an absolute right answer. Um, I, I, I think it maybe makes sense to focus on kind of some big picture, big ticket type of items. And, and when I'm speaking to someone on the phone, I'm, I'm normally trying to find out a little bit about what happened factually or procedurally in the case that caused the revocation or suspension. I want to confirm that there has indeed been a suspension. They're supposed to you know, normally give you some paperwork saying, you know, I'm taking your license. Um, and then um, we start the process of preparing the documentation and paperwork 
needed or necessary, you know, under the statutes to get the license back. So we may need an alcohol assessment. We may need a form from your insurance company in North Carolina. We call that a DL one, two, three in South Carolina. They call it something else. Uh, we may need documentation regarding where you work, the hours that you work, uh, location, um, and things, things of that nature. So, Perfect. Is there any specific things that a person can do on their own to qualify? Like if they've just been suspended, you know, let's say they were pulled over, they received a DWI, they were suspended. Is there something they can do today? Oh, um, there's something you shouldn't do today. And it's, it happens with enough frequency that I feel it's probably important to talk about. Uh, I think sometimes people get out of jail and they think, boy, I gotta go to work. So I'm just going to go online and get me a duplicate. And, uh, that's, a. Uh, <laughs> it happens. I know you're smiling, but it does happen. Uh, um, you know, in, in, in legal in, in specific legal language, uh, we always say, uh, don't do that. Um, because it, it actually can cause, uh, more problems. So if you uh, were to get, uh, pulled over, Right. While you were driving with this duplicate license, is that going to get you in even more trouble? It could. In fact, it, depending on the timing, and there there's so many different ways, so I don't want to say there's an absolute, but you, you could be looking at another relatively serious a separate offense as well as a violation of terms of release uh, from jail. And they normally tell you not to operate a motor vehicle until properly licensed. Uh, the reason that I, I kind of put a pause in there is that Normally, when you're charged for for driving while impaired and you have an 08 or higher, there's a, a an administrative revocation or suspension uh, for a 30 day period, but it's not absolute. Um, for example, there are times that you can challenge um, administratively, civilly, the revocation, uh, which in Charlotte actually takes place at the courthouse, but it's actually your, your other side is, is the um, attorney general's office as opposed to the prosecuting office, as opposed to a limited privilege that you may obtain after a 10-day period. So while they may revoke your license for 30 days for being charged um, or suspend, and I, by the way, I use the terms interchangeably, and there is a difference, but most people, you know, I want to keep it basic as much as I can now already in this answer, uh, after about a, a 10 day period, if you get your alcohol assessment, if you have a DL 123, if you get the paperwork and documentation together, you may be eligible for, uh, to drive for a pre, what we refer to as a pretrial limited driving privilege from day 11 to day 30. And then on day 30, you may be eligible to get your regular license back by paying, um, some sort of restoration fee right now. It's a hundred bucks. Uh, but there are a lot of moving parts involved with that. So, for example, if you have a willful refusal, the process obtaining, obtain, of obtaining a privilege, or even if that's possible, is different as would be if you are driving on a Class A commercial driver's license. Uh, they may order you to turn in your license for a Class A CDL and issue a Class C. Uh, but there are parts after parts and layers after layer on these on these type of type of issues so yes you can but it's really complicated now when you get a limited privilege does that it, right in the name it says limited does that mean there's certain places that you can go like can you just mm -hmm. okay tell me about sure that. 
Well, the first thing is there are limitations by the statutes, what the people on Jones Street, that's where the North Carolina General Assembly is at the North Carolina legislature, where they put in the laws, the general statutes, these are the conditions. So that's the big overlay. The second aspect to, uh, to be important to recognize is that uh, limited privileges, whether they're pretrial or uh, post-conviction limited privileges, as issued by the judge, as opposed to DMV, and there's a difference, um, are always in the discretion of the court. And so um, they can limit in their discretion. Uh, and I have seen differences amongst jurisdictions uh, of where people are, are have been allowed to drive. So um, I've had judges say, well, I don't particularly like this person working at a, an establishment that sells alcohol, and so I'm not going to allow you to drive to certain places. The standard hours, which are, are defined um, you know, generally across the state for a privilege, are uh, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. The standard days are Monday through Friday. Uh, and the standard purposes normally, we refer to them as household maintenance, um, is getting back and forth to work, maybe going to the grocery store, um, and taking care of you know some of the items of, of your household. Now we we can and regularly do get um, limited privileges for extended hours or extended circumstances. Uh, we normally need some level of additional documentation, and the courts uh, look at them and make sure uh, that they're appropriate. Um, heck, a I guess a, well, a year or two ago now, the legislature put into effect that you can there's a provision that you can drive to church, uh, which you know they added in there. Um, so some judges make you come to court with us. Um, there, there's a local jurisdiction, um, uh, Union County in Monroe. It's not unusual for us to you know, meet the client at the courthouse and present the documentation to court. It's a little bit more formalized. Uh, that's what that particular judge in that jurisdiction wants to do. And there are other jurisdictions where the DA doesn't even want to sign off on the petition, which um, there's a you know special form. They, they, we, we advise them of the privilege and we approach the court and the court just signs off on the things filed. So uh, there are restrictions. The biggest restriction on a limited driving privilege is probably the most obvious that you cannot have any uh, booze in your system or on your breath while you're driving around uh, on that. And so I tell people uh, when we prepare the things, I read it over with them beforehand and then I read it over with them again. And I, you know, I want, I'd say, remember, you, this is limited. There are restrictions. And if you don't follow those restrictions, there are consequences. One, they'll take the license. And two, you are possibly subjecting yourself to a, a whole new set of problems and, and criminal charges and maybe problems of DMV as well. Kind of leads me into my next question. If you have that limited privilege, let's say that you, you know, you work on Friday nights doing whatever, mm -hmm. If you are coming home from work and you decide, is there a particular route that they're going to hold you to? Wow, great question. Um, yes, they can do that. A lot of um, people don't realize that there can be route restrictions and there's actually a space. It is something I've had judges say, Bill, I want to I want to know the route. I want to know uh, not only what time they leave to go to work. And we normally they're given some grace period if they work at 7 a.m. and um, and they get off at 7 p.m. They you know, give them a certain amount of time to leave the home and a certain amount of time to get back home. Uh, and then I've also had judges say, I want to know the specific route. I want you to you, know, you turn 
turn right on Carmel Road and you go up to Providence, turn left. And I, I've had, yes, they can do that. And there's, there's a tremendous amount of discretion afforded to the courts. And frankly, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, judges signing a piece of paperwork. Now, you've not been convicted of anything. I want to, I want to point that out on a, on a pretrial privilege. A post-conviction privilege, different story. But you've been accused of a pretty serious offense, and they are signing a piece of paper that says, I'm going to allow you to drive. I'm going to trust you that you're not going to do this again. And it's kind of on them, at least politically and publicly, if, if something bad happens and you're violating a privilege, uh, you know, you're going to see the news report, you know, why are, why are judges allowing people to drive around? They had a pending charge. Sure. Um, I, they don't always understand that you're being charged and not being convicted on pretrial privileges. But uh, I understand why judges look at them very carefully. They, they want to make sure that you're, you're following through with what, what they think is appropriate and given the nature and circumstances of your case. All right. So let's say I'm supposed to be on Providence Road and I get caught in on 485 near Ballantyne. Mm-hmm. What what's going to happen to me at that point? Well, there's, you know, there's the practical matter is what what's going to happen. And there's some discretion, I think, in law enforcement to decide whether or not to issue a warning or indeed arrest you. Uh, I think in a worst case scenario, you could be charged with um, driving while license revoked or suspended or failing to comply with the restrictions on your license. I think some reasonable minds may differ whether that is the same as not wearing your glasses when you're supposed to be driving versus, um, you know, whole heartedly not complying with the spirit of the, of the limited privilege. Uh, I don't think this is one area that I would encourage people to challenge uh, their luck um, on. I would say err on the side of being um, conservative and um, making sure that you stay um, on the path and, and direction that the court orders. Having said that, most privileges, when you see them, again, as a practical matter, have your home address, have your workplace or workplaces, and maybe where you go get treatment, your assessment agency and recommended treatment. And there's a certain, you know, latitude allowed to get there. Like what, what happens if you're on, we use Providence Road. What if there's a wreck on Providence Road? Are you, are you supposed to stay there on Providence Road until they clear the wreck? It's probably not safe if you're being directed. You know, if an officer's telling you, you know, go over here for the detour and you say, no, I'm violating my privilege. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a practical aspect of it. I don't, I, yeah, it's easy to focus on these um, ultra narrow exceptions. Um, uh, but I, I think it's as a, as a kind of a big picture, it's better to, to uh, be a little bit more conservative. But it sounds like what you're saying is you could land yourself in jail if you're not careful. Oh, absolutely. Gotcha. All right. So I want to back up to something you said mm-hmm. a, a moment ago about the difference between post-conviction and pre-conviction. Right. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, what are the differences there? Well, um, I, I, I tell clients this on a pretty regular basis that I'm, I'm explaining the law. I'm not necessarily defending the law. There are some laws I just fundamentally disagree with. And when you, are been, when you have been charged with driving while impaired, it's a charge. You've not been convicted. And contrary to my personal opinion, now this is not my legal opinion, this is my personal opinion, I think taking someone's driver's license for an extended period of time prior to being convicted is a punishment of sorts. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I would agree with you on a personal level as well. Right. Now, the General Assembly 
not so much. And the courts have said, well, we're close, but we haven't crossed that line yet. Um, so, you know, fundamentally, when you're convicted, things are different. You know, you either have admitted responsibility through a plea or you've been found guilty either by the court or um, a trial and a judgment is, has been entered against you. And then you are subjected to the court's um, will. I think people fail to also recognize that there is, there's a second agency involved and that has to do with uh, DMV. Now you ask the question, what's the difference? Well, pretrial limited privilege is not said to be a punishment. It is meant to get your attention. It's meant to, you know, make you maybe do a you know, timeout. I'm, I'm going to learn to stop doing these hand motions when we're on the, uh, on these podcasts, but, uh, you know, imagine like the referee does at a basketball game where you timeout, stop, get an alcohol assessment, take a look at what's going on in your life. And during the, the next 30 days, um, we're going to limit, uh, how much you can drive, you know, the winds, wares, and whys. Um, that's different than a post-conviction limited driving privilege, which has specific, um, the specific purposes. There is a punishment aspect of it. It's not just um, uh, rehabilitation or helping you maybe take a look at yourself in the mirror, but there's a, there is a punishment aspect. There's a consequence to having having been convicted of driving while impaired. And so they're, uh, they're, they're very similar. In fact, the forms are almost identical. One says pretrial on it. One says limited driving privilege. Uh, but um, uh, they, and that's why also why I say it, it's a punishment in some ways because it's the same form, uh, but um, largely the same form. Uh, but there, there, there are hypothetical legal differences. The, the key, their takeaway from this is that they're both serious. Um, they both have negative consequences if you don't comply. And they really long-term can affect your life and your livelihood and to be able to get around and take care of things if you, if you don't follow the rules. Now, sometimes I'll see people with the little blowing machines in their car that they have to blow mm -hmm. into to start the car and things like that. Is that part of post-conviction? Like after they've gotten convicted or do they ever get that when it's pretrial? Um, presently, and the reason I say this is these, these laws are developing uh, over time and the legislature is not, I don't think it's in session right now, but it's probably about to be. And uh, I, I hear rumblings of possible changes. Generally speaking, presently it is uh, limited to post-conviction limited privileges. But put an asterisk right there because there are times with DMV that in order to obtain a uh, restoration of a license through DMV and not necessarily to court, they're related but separate, uh, it could be a condition of restoration. That device, uh, you know, a lot of people call it the blow and go, is actually called an ignition interlock device. It's uh, very, very similar technology that we use on the handheld device on the side of the road, referred to that as an Alka sensor. Uh, it's very similar to the device we use downtown um, to test your breath called the ECIR2. The EC, for, for the record, stands for electro, electrical, electrochemical, my apologies, uh, as in a fuel cell. So all these use fuel cell devices. Uh, so the where we see most of them 
in a DWI context is post-conviction, and we tend to see them uh, when someone has a certain reading, uh, namely a 0.15 or higher. Uh, now, there are some, the reason I preface that is that last year, even we were in North Carolina talking about lowering that down to all DWIs and anyone that gets a 0.08 or higher, it was, they were proposing that they would get an ignition airlock device. Now, that did not pass. I don't remember where it got stuck in committee, but, um, you know, the idea is out there that anyone that gets a conviction drive on pair should have an ignition interlock device. And there are reasons for doing that and reasons for not doing that, but presently it's if you have a 0.15 or higher. The second aspect of that, though, is um, you cannot drive for a period of time. You're not otherwise eligible to get what we call ignition interlock limited driving privilege. It's a mouthful. Uh, for 45 days. Um, and that is intended as a punishment. So I have, I have clients say, well, Bill, I need to drive. What do I do for those 45 days? And my response is you cannot drive. Um, you, even if a judge says, you know, says, well, I'm going to give the person a privilege. I'm going to go ahead and fill it out. The DMV will kick it back. They'll disallow it. Uh, and people you know, kind of give me the the strange look and I say, well, that's, they can do that. They can supersede or override a judge if it's not authorized under the law. We also see them with DMV restoration hearings where there have been a series of, I'm going to say alcohol related events, maybe a series of DWIs over the years. Uh, I've seen them lately commonly ordered as a condition of restoration where someone has been found to be a willful refusal. They've gone that minimum, sometimes a year, um, minimum six months, a revocation for willful refusing. That's a whole nother, we could do a whole nother podcast on that. Uh, but I'm seeing it more frequently with civil restorations uh, as well. And that's, again, separate and apart from maybe the ankle bracelet that you would wear, wear prior to court, which is also a fuel cell technology. Um, and so the answer is yes, all of the above. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. Now, after you've gotten your license suspended, is there any type of waiting period based on, you know, how long you were suspended before you can apply, things like that? Well, it depends on the basis of the suspension. So if you have an ignition interlock limited driving privilege, a post-conviction ignition interlock privilege, yes, there's a 45-day hold before eligibility. If it's a condition of restoration as part of a civil DMV proceeding, uh, you've had a hearing, they say, you know, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, there normally would not be uh, a further period of suspension or revocation, but that's assuming, or you, I don't want to miss the point, that you probably, the whole reason that you were having a hearing in the first place is that you were suspended and not supposed to be driving. In fact, one of the things at hearings uh, they do, and we present um, to, the, to the DMV hearing officer, is your record. And sometimes we present witnesses that attest to the fact that you've not been driving at all. You've had no moving violations, um, let alone being convicted, which is a whole other issue. And secondly, you've not been drinking. Uh, we actually have, there are certain, you know, we bring people who have valid license, licenses and have known you for a period of time and they have sufficient contact with you that they can give testimony and saying, I've not seen the person driving, nor have I seen them drinking. Um, so there are hold periods, restrictions. They, DMV could very easily say, well, um, we're, we want you to get an alcohol assessment first. We want you to comply with the treatment. Uh, courts can do that as well. Um, I have seen courts 
not issue a limited driving privilege until they've done their community service and otherwise comply with the judgment. Uh, so there, it's, there are all kinds of options for the court and DMV. And, and uh, so strictly speaking, does there have to be the, well, there has to be the 45 day one on ignition interlock device. There has to be normally without some administrative relief, the 10 day suspension, unless you challenge the um, civil revocation, the 30 day suspension. Uh, and then after that, it's a lot of discretion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I hear people say that their license has been suspended permanently. Right. Does that mean permanently? I mean, can they not drive forever at that point? Well, there's permanent and then there's permanent. Um, this is one of those areas too, that as a practitioner, it's, it's mind boggling because I, I try to explain what I consider to be just incredibly silly laws to not silly people. And, um, there is something called a permanent suspension or a lifelong suspension. And we see that with habitual driving while impaired. It's kind of the, the, the death penalty, the death, you know, the death sentence for your driver's license. We had a law in North Carolina that after a certain period of time, uh, even on habitual permanent revocation, you could get some relief. It was a long time. Um, and that law had a sunset provision. Basically it was set for a set period of time. And then after that expiration of time, the general assembly said the next general assemblies, whenever that would have to be, could either reinstitute the law or not. And they let that die. So right now, presently, no, there's not on that type of habitual drywall impaired uh, penalty uh, or felony uh, DWI. Uh, there's not. There are permanent revocations or suspensions that don't really mean permanent. Um, uh, I don't know why they use that term, but they do. And when I first started practicing law in 1992, there actually was an offense called driving while license permanently revoked. And uh, it required, it had a mandatory minimum 30 days active in jail if you were convicted. Uh, and that got changed I don't remember when, when that went into effect, but that, that got changed. Now, that doesn't mean a judge can't give you active time on jail. It just was required. Uh, so if that had, if you had the DWL, DWLR, and that's what lawyers refer to them most of the times, and it had a P, which was permanently revoked, uh, it meant something. Uh, there are permanent revocations, and there are permanent for a time, and that doesn't mean permanent in my dictionary. So if, but So if someone has been permanently revoked, it's probably still worth making a phone call to you. Yes. And I will, you know, the first thing we do is we, we pull a copy of the, the, the driving record. Um, uh, normally need a, we have an account with DMV and we pay a fee for that. And we normally need your name, date of birth, social security number. People ask why you ask for my social security number and they say that's, they want it. Uh, and then we look at it and you read them from the back page to the front page, from the bottom to the top. I don't know if that, is that how they read? Japanese or, or some, <laughs> some language, but you read them from the bottom to the top because, um, and there's, there's a top header section that tells what the status of your license is. And so we make sure, and I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious, but I'm sort of not, I do read them from a certain date forward and we start seeing, um, it depends on how complex these things. And I've seen, or I've seen, uh, uh, record checks that make the rainforest of, 
uh, South America weep with the amount of paper uh, because you have 20 pages, especially if you, as you've gotten older, if you have a history of DMV, every little ticket you've gotten shows up. Uh, and then there may be letters going from the division of motor vehicles to you advising you to suspension. So that together with the privilege, it, sometimes they can't even fit them inside the, uh, the court file we, we refer to as the shuck in North Carolina. Uh, by the way, if anyone knows the etymology of shuck relating to a court file, I'd love to know it. We just, everyone just calls it that statewide, by the way. It's like, let me see the shuck. I think it has to do with like an ear of corn and shucking it off. It's got a clear little cellophane front. Kind of type of I was thinking maybe an oyster because it's got that little opening on the side. Yeah, and and like an oyster, if you open it wrong, it can cut your ass. <laughs> it can. Um, so, uh, but uh, uh, they, there's a complex reading of these things, and and here's another key point: when you say permanently revoke, if you have an outstanding license ticket and you've not taken care of it, and they do what's called an inde- indefinite suspension or revocation. It is permanent until you take care of that that underlying offense. So that means forever. And I have people say, "Well, I never had a North Carolina license. How can they suspend it?" They, let me let me disabuse you of that. They figure out a way. They just they assign a number and they say, "You know, Bill, your number is one two three four five six." And now that we've assigned you a number, don't drive here in North Carolina. We take that number back. Right. And I have people say, "Well, I'm licensed in South Carolina." I'm like, "Great." Don't drive in North Carolina. Yeah, so. Don't cross the line. So are there any situations where a driver cannot apply for limited driving privileges? Yes, there are times where you're not even eligible to apply. Uh, lawyers uh, were held to a standard when we, when we present the paperwork to the court. We are, in effect, asserting that we believe you're otherwise eligible. That is part of the record review. That's also why... As I, I guess I'm older now, so I can say as an old school lawyer, I still pull the full record from the North Carolina Department of Transportation Division of Motor Vehicles, DMV, as much as they will give us. Um, I'd like the, the full, complete record so I can see the history. Um, and then I can, if I have the complete record, I can tell you whether you are eligible or not. There are some companies out there, private agencies, that, you know, they're, they're data trolls. They, you know, they troll. Uh, d- different court systems, and they will do an unofficial record. Which, you know, my response to that is: Do you want an official driver's license based on the the, the North Carolina law and the DMV, or do you want an unofficial driver's license that if it's wrong, there's a problem? So I don't, I don't know. I don't mean any offense to those companies. There's a purpose for them for quick and dirty type of stuff. But when it comes to preparing for a privilege and you being able to drive to work, I like I go old school on that. I get the, I get it from DMV. Now, it sounds like there's a lot to this process. Is that something that you could do yourself? Like, could I apply for a limited driving privilege myself if I needed it? Sure. You, you always can. And I, I see people do it. Um, I, it, it makes me nervous because uh, if it's done incorrectly, it can cause further problems. It can get expensive if you do it incorrectly because they won't just allow you to correct um things without refiling and they tend to charge a new filing fee. Uh, so yes, it can be done. In fact, on our website and other materials, we uh, provide links to the Administrative Office of Courts forms. Uh, they're called AOC forms and you there's a form for a pretrial limited driving privilege and a petition for limited driving privilege. There's a form for a conviction 
uh, post-conviction DWI. There's a form for a willful refusal limited driving privilege. There's a privilege for an ignition interlock limited driving privilege. There's even a privilege for certain speeding tickets. So yes, you can, uh, but it makes me nervous um, because I, I, I think I fear you could spend a long time sitting up there trying to figure out how to do it. And uh, the court system really isn't allowed to, you know, DAs, prosecutors aren't allowed to explain uh, your options in the law and the judges either review the materials and accept it or don't. Uh, and I think you're at a disadvantage. Um, so, yes, you can. They're, it's just one of those more complicated areas. This isn't a simple speeding ticket or, um, you know, inspection violation uh, I'm sure there's some people completely competent and able to do it. It's it's just I know how hard we work at doing it and how I, you know, if we ever have a you know a typo or something, we we redo it so that we had to refile it. Um, so it's 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 deceptively complicated. All right. So you've answered all the questions I had. Do you have any last words on the subject? Well, don't be afraid to call a lawyer. Uh, we at our office uh, offer a free confidential consultation. Uh, I will point you in the right direction. If I think we can help you out, I'll tell you. If I think you can handle it yourself or, you know, maybe go another direction, I'll tell you that too. Uh, lawyers are here to help. Uh, we truly do want to help people. And when we don't charge for a consult and it's confidential, why not? All right. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, my pleasure. All right. You've been listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions on your time. Ready to discuss your matter now? Call 704-342-HELP for your free and totally confidential consultation. That's 704-342-4357. Law Talk with Bill Powers is an educational resource only. The information presented on this podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney. Every situation is unique. Therefore, you should always consult with a licensed attorney before making any legal decisions. Thanks for listening.